Hi, and welcome back to the second week of Cultural Geography, Introduction to Cultural Geography 370. Uh, this is John Paul again, and this week uh, we are going to be talking about the trajectory of cultural geographic thought, really from the, um, the confines of medieval Christian Europe and escaping that into um, crossing the Atlantic Sea into the Americas, um, with Carl Sauer. Let's get started. Let's set the scene a little bit here and talking about the emergence uh, or the uh, transition of geographic thought from really what um, was developed by the Greeks and classical times and was much of it was lost and forgotten during medieval European times. That tradition, however, um, was carried on by Arab traditions in um, Northern Africa and the Arabian Peninsula, obviously. And as, um, as capitalism as the market economies began to emerge in Europe and um, people and, and really merchants began to look for alternative routes to the Indies, um, navigation, mapping began to really develop further and further. Um, eventually, in the turn of the um, the 19th century, so the end of the 17th century, the beginning of the 18th century, um, we find someone called Alexander von Humboldt, who as a geographer is someone that you need to at least have been introduced to. Alexander von Humboldt um, is probably one of the most influential geographers ever. Um, he spent much of the 18th century traveling through and mapping um, physical and cultural geographies of what is now Latin America. Alexander von Humboldt prescribed to this epistemological notion, or uh, epistemology means ways of knowing the world. How do we know what we know, for instance? How do we study the world? So he, he prescribed to this epistemological stance that what is knowledge is what is readily um, available in a catalog. How can we monitor, describe, and accumulate um, basically empirical data from the world? And this was a, a departure from the centuries prior, which relied heavily on the Catholic uh, strangle of knowledge and the Catholic view of the world at that time, which was phenomena that we could not describe were uh, um, ascribed to be religious, divine. So why were things different in different places? Well, they were. it was divined that way. It was God's plan, God's intention. And as we'll come to see, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so empiricism was a radical departure, radical departure from this divine view of the world. And empiricism is the belief that 
Um, we know what we know based off what we can touch, hear, smell, taste, and see, right? Our senses, in other words. If we can sense it, then it, it could become knowledge. If we cannot sense it, then it does not um, really constitute knowledge. And Alexander von Humboldt was an empiricist and he and he used empiricism to travel in his travels throughout latin america cataloging recording in detail um things that he encountered along the way if the legacy of alexander von humboldt did not adequately displace or um, remove divine thinking from our understandings of the natural world and of other human cultures, then Charles Darwin, um, without a doubt, did so within European thought um, specifically. And so Charles Darwin um, famously wrote The Origin of Species, which was based off his observations that, um, and a theory, right, the theory of evolution that as we pass down traits, um, we as humans and we as um, an animal collectively on this planet, as animals pass down traits through reproduction, those minor changes in the genetic code from um, reproduction to reproduction to um, new, uh, new offspring to new offspring, those minor changes, right, almost imperceptible at times, the, the changes that benefit the propagation of the species um, help make the species propagate further. In other words, um, those traits that help the most help that species produce offspring and thereby slowly evolving over time. This very scientific understanding of nature began to um, well, geographers latched on to this, right, in their, in their explanations of the world. So what we're encountering here is Darwin's legacy as a positivist theorist. And I'll quote the book directly. I think it's useful here at this point on page 25. Anderson says that this move is a simple collation, uh, this move from simple collation of observations like uh, von Humboldt, for instance, to theorization on these observations, i.e. Darwin, can be categorized as the shift from empiricism to positivism. In other words, positive, positivism is being able to, or the practice of collecting data in the world, collecting empirical data, and then saying, okay, based off of what data we have collected, we are going to test uh, we're going to create a, a theory about the world. And positivism was seen as more scientific. Um, it was seen as adding something. And it, it also um, it gave a, a reason for geographers to go back out into the world and continue collecting more and more data to, to refine and to create new theories about the world. Perhaps one of the most um, long-lasting and damaging 
repercussions of Darwin's um, theory of evolution can be felt and observed through the theory of environmental determinism. So geographers thinking um, that positivism added an air of sophistication and credibility to their work rather than empirical observation on, at its, in its own right, they began to use Darwin's theory of evolution, uh, essentially, in other words, the survival of the fittest in um, Herbert Spencer's um, terminology, and they applied this to their logic for why cultures are different. And to sum it up, the environmental determinists would say that, well, cultures along the equatorial zone are inherently less um, evolved um, because of the natural elements around them than um, cultures north of the equator in a more temperate zones. And so they begin to argue simply based off of um, location and physical um, ephemera and, and physical context that these things dictated directly how cultures developed. So it was causal, in other words, that your physical environment caused your culture. That was the theorization of um, many, not all, geographers in the late uh, 19th century. So what did this do for European geographers and European imperialists specifically? And I'd like to argue here, and I think Anderson echoes this, that, well, environmental determinism, it gave credibility to the colonial project. And as European colonists continue to spread across the globe, during this time, much of the Americas was already colonized by the Spanish, Portuguese, um, Dutch, English, French, British. Um, but Africa was largely um, left fractured by centuries of slave trade, and it was not necessarily colonized in, in a similar way. There hasn't been as much extractive resource um, um, collection going on by European powers. And so they saw um, an opportunity to um, civilize essentially um, lesser, in their eyes again, lesser cultures based off of um, this environmental deterministic view of the world, right? So it was their duty based off of purely um, environmental conditions to, to naturalize, to bring other people into their own culture, um, and in the process extract resources and create tremendous wealth at the expense of um, African lives specifically. But this also extended into um, the Polynesia and and Southeast Asia. Continuing with the environmental deterministic thought in, in Europe in the late uh, 19th century or the 1800s, um, we see that Friedrich Ratzel is a German theorist and he used Darwin's 
theory of evolution and applied it again erroneously to culture. And Darwin was very specific about his theory in that he argued that it was strictly biological and in nature, right? It's not to be applied to culture. However, um, this didn't stop people from applying it to cultural theorizations. And, and Rotzel said that, well, if, if, if nature uh, evolves through evolution and humans are, are natural and that we are uh, descendant of um, apes, then our cultures too are natural and therefore um, the territory we need to sustain our culture is a natural process. And this, this view, this erroneous view of culture uh, led and gave credence to um, a eugenic idea and an expansion, a expansionist idea in, in Germany um, specifically um, that, that gave, that really led to the rise um, or fed the fire of, of Nazi fascism. And, and they could use this quote, scientific understanding of culture to argue that we are expanding the German territory um, in the guise of science, right? So they're using this false science idea to expand, um, exterminate the Jews, exterminate people who they deemed were not um, uh, bettering the German society. So um, people who identified as gay, uh, people with disabilities, um, uh, people, you know, um, who really did not live um, or exert um, this idea of German purity. This, this sad and disastrous episode in, in scientific thought and co-opted by geographers, co-opted by social theorists of all kinds, um, however, was not the only way of thinking, obviously. Um, many viewed culture in different ways. And, and one of the kind of flourishing evolutions of how we viewed culture um, came similar to this time in the late 1800s, and it's called environmental possibilism. And this is the idea really um, by French theorist Paul Vidal de la Blache, who, who argued that we are not, as humans, we are not causationally determined by our environment, but our environment gives us the abilities to change our culture and to change the natural world. And this was, um, this was again, kind of an, an emancip emancipatory um, way of thinking. And so it began to give agency for the first time, really, in much of um, geographic thought and cultural thought about um, the world and about how we interact with the planet. It gave agency to humans and, and saying that, well, we can pick and choose from our natural surroundings what we will to um, develop our own cultures.
This French, um, this French evolution of environmental possibilism, however, was still um, was still centered on an empiricist um, and and really descriptive view of culture. So the people who were working in this tradition thought, um, well, what we can observe, what we can sense, you know, these things constitute uh, in some way human cultures and variations in human cultures. So. Um, it, while it gave while it gave agency to humans, while this theory gave agency to humans, it still relied on mainly a descriptive um, a descriptive practice, right? It did not offer a grand theory. It did not offer an idea of what culture was. Moving across the Atlantic with this environmental possibilist idea of of culture, Carl Sauer picked this idea up and and used it in his fieldwork and used it in his explorations. Uh, Carl Sauer is probably one of the most, if not the most, prominent um, cultural geographers and geographers coming out of um, the Americas. Carl Sauer too worked um, much in Latin America and, and using this descriptive uh, epistemology, this, this empirist bent epistemology about the world. Uh, he documented um, extensive cultures, but he struggled to um, put forward a concrete theory of culture and the the chapter um, chapter three ends on this this idea that cultural theorists, um, especially in the mid twentieth century, um, Carl Sauer worked in the early twentieth century to the mid twentieth century, uh, but as as urban cultures began to intensify, as um, rural to urban migration began to intensify, uh, as rural cultures began to um, uh, not diminish necessarily, but uh, move towards the urban, and this gave rise to uh, an ignition of, of activity in urban spaces that couldn't be ignored, right? And, and so the question of what is culture began to become forefront. And Sauer really ascribed to this notion that culture was something outside of the human, that it's this idea of the super organic. And this is a, an old kind of German idea as well. And uh, theorists kind of thought that culture moved across the planet, almost like a cloud, an invisible cloud, giving um, energy and and. Um, intellectual life to certain places at certain times. Um, this, of course, is completely false and inaccurate. But, you know, even into the early to mid 20th century, um, this idea that culture was somehow apart from and different from what we do and who we are and what we practice um, in our everyday lives, um, the super organic theory of culture existed. However, it began to be squarely critiqued. 
And this is where I want to leave off for chapter three. And we will jump back in right there in the next chapter. See you then.